Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Week two of this series, whatever it takes. Last week we talked about prayer and fasting and that when we pray and we fast that what we're doing is we're actually, um, in addition to disciplining our bodies, we're strengthening our spirit and making room and getting a better resolution and in, in, in the image and the picture that God has uh, in his plan for our life. And then also to be able to hear his voice better by cutting out some of the good things to make room for the God things. And this week, as we move into doing whatever it takes, sometimes doing whatever it takes is a mix of um, praying and working. Sometimes doing whatever it takes is a mix of faith and doubt. It is a fear, a mix of fear and courage. Sometimes doing whatever it takes is reprioritizing some things in our life and maybe even reprioritizing some relationships um, and really, guys, like getting outside your comfort zone. We don't like going there. Or if we go there, it's just like one step out so that if it gets too crazy, what can we do? Step back in. Um, and really doing whatever it takes is about enduring over the long haul. And so read the scripture last week, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I've got quite a few scriptures today because I just felt like I wanted to let the word soak for this one. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore. And whenever therefore is there, the next few sentences are going to tell you why it's therefore, Right? Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run, everyone say run, with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so every time that I read this, I kind of envision myself running on a track. I don't run on a track, right? I used to run any long distance runners, like anybody, a couple people maybe, no, okay. You guys are the wise ones, you're the smart ones, right? Um, anytime I read this verse, I picture running on a track and the stands are full of what the writer here in Hebrews is saying of, of these witnesses of faith. And really what he's saying is these heroes of faith. And when you go back and you read Hebrews chapter 11, just one chapter back, it's really kind of like the cliff notes of the Old Testament. It's the summary of all these great heroes of faith and, and he's describing them, and he says these heroes of this life of faith, he says some have overthrown kingdoms, some received their family back from the dead. It says some shut the mouths of lions. But then it says there are others that were imprisoned, they were laughed at, they were stoned to death, and they were sawed in half. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna be in the crowd of the great witnesses of faith, I wanna be in that first category, not the second category, right? I wanna be in the first one, but when we're running in this life 
And a race is oftentimes used in Greco-Roman times as an illustration of what life is, of what pursuing purpose is. That, that when we are running, you and I, when we're running in this life of, of faith, that we are surrounded by this um, group of heroes in the faith. And it says, it says this, right? And when you read the last part of, of Hebrews 11, it, it can mess with you a little bit. It says they had a good reputation for their faith because they believed. And then a couple lines in, it says that they did not all receive what they had hoped, but they welcomed it from a distance. And it says that they waited because we would be perfected in their waiting. And so we see this. We have all these people that have gone before us. They're forerunners. They're waymakers. They're cheering us on. And how many of you ever heard that, you know, life is not a sprint, but it's a what? Marathon. And when we were planting the church and making the preparations, and sometimes I felt like we were driving through Murfreesboro and they just opened up the door and we fell out and they were going 90 miles an hour. The car was going 90 miles an hour. And we were trying to keep up. And I had mentors tell me, like, look, ministry is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Ministry is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I got to thinking, like, even a marathon has a finish line. I've never ran a, a full marathon. I've ran a couple of halves and I was so excited to get to the finish line. It was like the last mile, my body was just like, you better stop or I'm gonna stop you. <laughs> you better stop. But life isn't a marathon. Like there is eventually a finish line when we take our final breath, but until we get there, it is an eternal run. And so there's gonna be times when you and I are running in this race of life where, where we're gonna be jogging and, and we can handle the pace. But then there's also gonna be times, and we've experienced it the last two years, right, where it feels like it's just a constant sprint. Or we're sprinting, and then maybe we take a couple of steps to catch our breath. And it's like we can never just, like, get in that good rhythm. And so life is like this eternal run where sometimes we're jogging and sometimes we're sprinting. And, and, and there's moments in, in all of that when we experience these life's pains and, and life struggles where we want to give up. But Scripture calls us to endure, that we are to run the race with endurance. And when you look up this word endurance, you know, it's, it's a pretty common word. It's the ability to withstand hardships, adversity, or suffering over a long period of time. The ability to withstand hardships, adversity, or suffering. Now, we can do that. It's the last part of that definition that gets hard with us, right? Over how long? A long period of time. And these last two years have felt way longer than two years. And when I think about endurance, I think about these great um, feats of strength. Um, anybody remember the Rocky Four movie? Right? When, 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 when I think about endurance, my mind goes to Rocky Four. And there were a lot of great Rockies, but that was the best one because he's fighting the Russian, right? And so he goes and, and he, you know, after his friend Apollo, you know, really just gets killed in the ring, like literally, as my 15 year old would say. Apollo's and Victor says, um, or Ivan Drago says, if he dies, he dies. And so Stallone, Rocky at this point, is just has within him this, fat, this, this passion, this fervor to wrong and, and vindicate what's happened to his best friend. So he goes to Russia and he trains. And I went back over the last couple of days and rewatched the 
training montage of Rocky Four, and Ella would come up like, Dad, what are you doing? Are you watching it again? Yes, I'm getting psyched. And so he's running up the hill in the snow, right? He's taking the wheelbarrow with his trainers and his wife, and he's lifting it over his head, and he's, he's, he's got this um, workout that he's done with these boulders, and he's pulling it, and he's doing these setups while he's hanging off the top of the barn and I'm seeing this and I'm like that is endurance and he gets in the ring with Ivan and he says Ivan looks at him of course Ivan's like a head taller and he says I must crush you and when you watch the scene like Rocky is just going all in and laughs and beats him and then you watch Creed 2 which is the follow-up pretty good anybody seen it right? It's almost as good, but when you watch the training scene in that, it's the complete opposite. He's in the desert, and he's running, right? And he's, he's, he's hammering the dirt, and like, what kind of workout is that, right? And so he's building his endurance, and when I think about endurance, that's what I see, and, and we all, when we think about endurance, we think it's a physical feat, and there's a boxer that you may never, never have heard of, um, he started in the late 1800s right as boxing was becoming recognized as a sanctioned sport. Because before it was a sanctioned sport, it was something that just took place in barns, on barges, out in the field, and, and they didn't wear gloves. There was, there was no um, rounds. It was basically a fight to the finish. It was a bare-knuckle fight to the finish until someone gave up or until someone was knocked out, bare-knuckled, and it was... It was it was not legal. And then there was this guy, his name was James Corbett, and he was one of the first um, sanctioned fights when they started um, incorporating gloves and rounds, three-minute rounds with a break in between, and, and he, he defeated this guy that was the, you know, quote-unquote world champion at this time. And he defeated him, and, and the quote that he made after he finished that fight was, was fight one more round. The man who always fights one more round is never whipped. Now, the crazy thing is he made that quote after fighting 21 rounds. Because before they changed it to 12 rounds, you basically fought round after round until someone gave up or someone was knocked out. But 21 rounds was not his longest fight. The fight before that was 61 rounds. And so for four hours, four hours, he would fight three minutes, get a minute rest. And when you read kind of the, the biography on it, the first 30 rounds, they said, was a great fight. The next 31, it was basically two men trying not to die. But just imagine fighting 61 rounds. And so I don't know what you feel like you're in your 61st round, whether it's in a relationship struggle, whether it's in another disappointment, whether it's something that you thought you'd overcome, a struggle and, you know, an addiction or whatever, whether it's a disappointment and that you're in the 61st round and you thought that this would be over, let me just encourage you to fight one more round because the man who always fights one more round is never whipped. And so enduring could just be fighting one more round, taking one more step, standing your ground, enduring disappointment, or maybe even this, guys, as we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, maybe it's just praying one more time. Maybe you've prayed the same prayer over and over and over for weeks, for months, for years, maybe even a decade, and you're thinking, why should I pray? Pray one more time. And then after you've done that, pray one more time. Jesus, Jesus' half-brother James, in James chapter 1, 
Verses two through four says this. says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to do what? Grow. Oh, it's not up there. Can we get this? Oh, it's not on there. My bad, guys. <laughs> I was going to point them. Okay, got you. Um, so you guys have to listen. The screens aren't working. So, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Everyone say grow. Awesome. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, now here's what I want you to know. James says this. When troubles of any kind come your way. So it's not if, but it's when. He didn't say if troubles of many kind come your way. What does he say? He says when troubles of many kind come your way, you will have troubles. Jesus even says on this earth, in this life, you will have troubles. So it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And so here's what I know about like most of us is, is we are in, in one, of three, one of three places. We are either coming out of problems and trials, we are either in problems and trials, or we're getting ready to go into problems and trials. And I know that can be kind of disheartening, but that's the truth. It's like life is a matter of hills and valleys, victories and successes, and then defeats. And so we're either coming out of troubles, in the middle of troubles, or we're going into troubles. And so every one of us in this room are there. And so James says this, he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And so these opportunities are, are, are opportunities for joy and for rejoicing. But here's what I know, is we don't always make the most of those opportunities. Because when we're in the struggle, when we're in that season, it is an opportunity for us to know God more it is an opportunity for us to see God better, to hear his voice. It's an opportunity for you and I to grow closer to friends and family. It's an opportunity for you and I to help us put our life in perspective when we endure and these struggles come. It's an opportunity for us to have some things in our life tested. I heard John Maxwell say one time, it's like, like, our values are tested when we go through struggles, and you can't trust things until they've been tested. How many of you are glad that your cars had many test drives before you drove it off the lot, right? Everything that you and I use on a daily basis has been tested multiple times. And so when we go through things, what is happening is our faith is being tested, our values are being tested, and we are growing stronger, and it is an opportunity for us to experience joy. Now, now this next verse, Paul says something similar in, in, in Romans, um, and, and this is a little lengthier verse. I'm going to read it slow so I can break it down, because I, I want us, if nothing else that you take away from today, I want you to take this next point. Romans chapter five, verses one through five. When you're there, say I'm there. Not there yet. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. <laughs> Romans chapter five, verse one. I want you guys to be able to read along with me. Awesome, awesome. 
Love it. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we now have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, I know that's a mouthful. We've been made right with God by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now, everyone say, stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, verse 3, Paul echoes what, G, what, what James says. He says, we can rejoice too. Which what he's saying is we can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, now let me explain what I see in this passage. Before Paul tells us, listen, before Paul tells us that we can rejoice in our trials, before we can rejoice in our problems, he is reminding us of our position in Christ. Okay? He is reminding you and I who we are in Christ. He is saying at the end of this, and he says, and this hope does not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, that he has given us the Holy Spirit. And here's where I think the breakdown comes in you and I, and where we struggle with enduring in these tough times, in these problems, in these trials, is because we're not getting the first part of that passage. We're not getting the first part of that. We're unable to endure because we're not recognizing our position. When we struggle with enduring, when our faith is tested, when we think we're alone, it's because we think we're undeserving of God's presence in the situation. When I look at things that I've wrestled with and I've struggled to endure and I peel back the layers, that's what it boils down to. Is, is I have forgotten what my position is. And our struggle, this is the key point, our struggle with accepting our position in Christ causes us to struggle to accept his presence in our problems. Our struggle with accepting our position in Christ causes us to struggle with accepting his presence in our problems. For me, this is huge. When I read that this week and the Holy Spirit dropped it, I was like, that's, that's why. And even though I'm your pastor, let me tell you, I still struggle with, with trying to be good enough for God. I still struggle and wrestle with like, oh, you know, I haven't been a good husband and dad this week. Um, is God really, really, is he gonna reward me by being there when I need him most? Can anybody connect with that? that we struggle with accepting God's presence because really, in all honesty, we struggle with accepting 
our position. That's why Paul says this. He says, we can rejoice too. So he's saying, guys, look at me, that, that we should be rejoicing in our position, not by what we've done, but by what Christ has done. And when we can rejoice and accept our position in that, then we can also rejoice when we're going through trials because his presence is there with us. Endurance is the foundation of a strong character. So we can rejoice in our position. And we can rejoice too in our problems. Endurance is a foundation of a strong character and a strong hope. It's like I said earlier, it's like we can't really trust something until it's been tested. And every time that, that, that you go through that, whether it's a strain in a relationship, whether it's a disappointment, whether it's waiting on God, I don't know what your struggle or your trial is, but as you're going through it and you stand, because it says, look, we can stand in that position confidently. When we do that, we know that we will not be disappointed in our salvation, that, that, that he is there with us. And so how, how can we endure practically? At first, I want you to understand that. I want you to understand your position, that, that, that by what Christ has done on the cross, that he has made the way and everything possible for you to stand in that position. But then practically, how do we walk this out? How do we endure well? We read this Hebrews 12 one through three. It says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse two says, and we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And then I love the writer says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. If our position in faith is in Christ and he is our champion and he has endured, guess what you and I get to do? We can also endure. We don't look to the latest influencer on social media. We don't look to any of those guys that tells us how to have grit, how to grind, how to hustle, you know, hustle hard and stay humble, right? There's a guy that says, keep your feet on your, your he says, keep your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds and work hard. That's, that's not how we do it. We endure by first looking at our champion. And then Paul understood, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. He says this, he says, we live under the constant danger of death. And this is Paul, and this is what he experienced every single day. Because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And then Paul goes on to say, this is why all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. And he says this, this is why 
we never give up. This is why we never give up. So why is Paul saying he doesn't give up? Well, three things. All right, three things that he says he does here. The first thing that you and I have to do, we have to find a greater goal. Okay, we have to find a greater goal. For us, it wasn't just about starting a church, right? Because beyond launch day, there are people that need to be reached. There are families that are hurting. If the goal was just to launch the church, that is a shallow goal. And so for you and, and, and what you're wanting to attain and achieve for whatever it takes, look at what your goal is. Paul says this, that is why we never give up. His why was all of this is for your benefit, talking to the church at Corinth. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So the, 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 the final outcome, the final goal was for him to be able to reach more people. That's why every day he faced death. That's why multiple days he went hungry. That's why he was in prison. That's why he was shipwrecked. That's why he endured all these things was not just for the benefit of those that are reading this letter, but for the benefit of those of us that are in this room, that it was a greater glory. I don't know if you guys have ever watched um, this selection process of special forces, like, the, like the, the, the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets. What they endure is some pretty ridiculous things. And I was listening to a psychologist explain how they're able to do this. And, and all these guys come in, and they come in, and they're thinking they're going to make it, and they're physically fit, they're mentally strong. But then over the course of the days and the weeks, however long it takes, they begin to tap out. Because what happens is at a certain point, through sleep deprivation and through cold water and hunger, their, their physical strength begins to deteriorate. And so they no longer have that to rely on. And then what happens with the lack of sleep and the hunger, once the physical strength is gone, then their mental strength and their emotional strength begins to deteriorate. And they're left with just a shell. And, and every guy that makes it, every lady that makes it, it's because they have a greater goal. That the physical strength is gone, the mental and emotional strength is gone, and they're left with the spiritual strength that's carrying them through. And so we have to have a greater goal, and we have to do this. Paul says this, that, that his spirit is renewed daily. You and I, we have to renew our spirit daily. 2 Corinthians 4.16, the second part of that verse says, Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our spirits are being renewed every day. Just like you have to prepare meals to nourish your physical body and take time to nourish your physical body. You and I also have to take time and enjoy meals to nourish our spiritual body, to renew our spirit on a daily basis. And, and that is part of this process of 21 days of prayer and fasting so that, so that we can feed our spirit man so that we can nourish our spirit daily. And those of you who are participating in the fast, what you're gonna find happening after these first seven days and, and you get used to no caffeine. Come on, I had my cup of cinnamon tea this morning. Not as good as caffeine, but, but I'm making it work. But once those headaches are gone, once you start to silence those hunger pains, what happens is, is your mind begins to clear and you can hear from God 
better. You can see his word a little more clear. And we're doing um, this 21-day devotion when you go to avenuechurch.com, avenuechurch.com slash 21 days, there's resources there, excuse me. And, and one of those is a 21-day devotion that we're doing as a church. And I think it was day three, it said this. It says, the fire within dims and we shift into autopilot, operating from a position of obligation or routine in our relationship with God instead of one of affection or fervor. Man operating from a position of obligation or routine. And what he's saying just before that is when we are not renewing our spirit daily, what we find ourselves doing is just going through the motions because that's what we're supposed to do. And it's not a healthy, a healthy meal. It's not a healthy spiritual lifestyle. And we're not renewing our spirit. And so we set a greater goal. We renew our spirit daily. And the third thing Paul says in this passage is that we need to pursue a greater glory. Pursue a greater glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 through 18. says, for our present troubles are small. Everyone say small. Small. And won't last very long. Now this is, this is hard. For Paul to look at some of the things that you've experienced some of the things I've experienced or are experiencing and to say that this is a small thing. But he's able to do that because he says they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at these troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. And so whatever you're facing right now, guys, whatever heartache, whatever struggle, whatever disappointment that you just don't think you can fight another round, fight another round. Because in the great scheme of our life, in the totality of our life, this is really just a short, short time of discomfort and pain. And I'm not belittling whatever you're facing, but we have all experienced things and we thought, is this, is this ever gonna end? My God, is this ever gonna end? Is this ever gonna end? And guess what? Now we're four, five, six years removed from it or maybe not even that long, but we think, you know, I, I made it out of that. And now because I endured through that, my character's a little bit stronger. I have a little bit different perspective on things. I understand God's favor in my life a little better. I understand his presence in my life a little bit better. Because we endured through it. And, and the future glory that Paul is talking about here is just not about what we experience here. It's about the future glory that we will experience when we step into, that was the last song that we sang, show us your glory. It's about enduring on this side that when we enter the other side of eternity, we get to experience God's glory for all eternity. And really, guys, it's not just about enduring through situations, but it's about enduring in our faith and not losing faith. Because here's the truth. And back when I was trying to get back into 5K shape and I was gonna try to get back into running and running's just not quite as fun as it used to be. Chris made a statement. He said, it doesn't get easier, you get stronger. And the truth about life is, guys, is life, man, I'm finding out that, man, I really wished my life away when I was a kid. 
I remember my parents telling me, like, I can't wait till I'm 16 and I get to drive. And my mom said, be careful, you're wishing your life away. And now I'm 43, and I'm like, man, if I could just go back then when it was much simpler. Life doesn't get easier. What happens when we endure, you and I, we get stronger. Life doesn't get easier. You and I, we get stronger. And I'm not talking about the physical type, but I'm talking about spiritually. It says that our character gets stronger. James chapter one, last verse as I close. James chapter one, verses three and four says this, and this is what it boils down to, guys. To endure, to pursue all that God has for us, to do whatever it takes. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And these struggles and these trials that we go through, they build our faith, they strengthen our faith, they bring us back to a position to remind us of who we are in Christ, to remind us that his presence is there even when we don't feel like we deserve it, even when we feel like we don't deserve it, his presence is there. And so I don't know what it is you're facing in this room. Maybe you have family members that are in seasons right now that seem unbearable. And I probably said this last week, it's something I say a lot, that it's in the most unbearable circumstances we see God's undeniable goodness when we can endure and hold on to who he is. And so I would, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray for those of you who are in a season where you're needing more endurance. It's like, you've got to fight one more round. You've already fought 60, 70. You've been fighting a year, but I'm encouraging you, just fight one more round. Pray one more prayer. Trust one more time. Take one more step. And if that's you and you need the strength to do those things, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray, pray for you. Father, we come to you this morning, God, and I thank you so much for your presence in this place. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, that it cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, revealing who we are. God, that it is a, it is a, a hammer that, that breaks the chains of bondage. God, that it is a medicine that strengthens us that soothes us, that heals us. God, you saw the hands that were lifted in this room and there may be even be some that, that didn't lift their hand because they're ashamed or they're afraid. God, I pray that first and foremost that they would rejoice in who they are in you. God, that because of your forgiveness through the active obedience of your son and the sacrifice of his life, that we have been made right with you and we can stand confidently 
in a place of undeserved privilege. God, I pray that not a single one of us would doubt who we are in you, those of us who have confessed your son as our Lord and our Savior, that we would not doubt who we are in you. That we can trust that your spirit and your presence is there with us in these times. And so, Father, for strength in these bodies, God, courage in their hearts, peace over their minds, God, wisdom in their decisions. God, I pray for compassion and grace in their relationships. God, that your hand of favor would be on them. And God, if there's anyone in this room today that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would not leave here today without making that decision to repent, to turn away from their sins to surrender all the weight that they're carrying, the guilt and the shame and the sin that trips them up and all the things that slow them down from pursuing what you have for them. God, that even in this moment as we're praying, God, they can surrender by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not all that they'll say, God, but I pray that it's the beginning of a lifelong relationship and an ongoing conversation. So, Father, we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for that.